Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. All right, welcome back. Here we go. Uh, I'm going to start here. I watched, of course, the Plandemic 3 documentary, which I mentioned at the end of the last show. And then I went over and I ended up watching the Stu Peters one that came out actually before the Mickey Willis one, which is called Final Days. Uh, I will link both of those in the description below this episode so you can check them both out. I have to tell you, there is a stark difference between the two. I think that Final Days is way more of a kick in the teeth than uh, than the Great Awakening one. The Great Awakening one, again, with Mickey Willis is good. I'm not saying it's not. Uh, in, and again, this is my opinion. But it's a, you know, it's a good lesson on communism, without a doubt. And how infectious it is and, and its entire role. The Final Days one has way more to do with the bioweapon. And it has way more to do with depopulation and that entire agenda that is, of course, taking place. Which will lead me to a document that I want to read a little bit later, which is actually from the UN with the title Depopulation. So they tell us this. They're not hiding anything. Um... Again, Final Days is just way more serious. I mean, I'm not saying, again, that the Great Awakening one isn't serious. It certainly is, and, and it's heartbreaking as well and overwhelming, but uh, Final Days is very good also, so I highly recommend checking that out. And that reminds me that I'm always updating that documentary uh, book list and PDF that I have on my website, so you can always bounce over there and, and get a direct link on, on those also. And again, feel free and move that PDF around to anybody that you want. I want to start with these two particular stories because this continues to prove my point regarding the business of immigration, and I know that I've been harping on it here the last couple of episodes because it, it bothers me. Uh, as it turns out, the example from Germany that I mentioned in the last episode, someone wrote an article about it. And that someone is a Amy Mech over at the rarefoundation.com. So I'm going to read this because this is a problem. And the video that I described of the, uh, of the German, well, they're not Germans, you know, they are illegals, uh, sexually assaulting through a humiliation ritual that, uh, that young girl who apparently happened to be 12 years old. Uh, the video is linked in this particular article too. So the title of the article is, Europe horrified by surge of migrant children engaging in mock gang rapes and beheadings. So, here we go. It says, Migrant children's disturbing mock rapes and executions in Europe reveal a culture of silence where politicians, police, and media deliberately ignore the crimes to protect their immigration policies. It says, in a shocking incident that unfolded in a Munich backyard, a group of five boys, reportedly migrants, subjected a young girl to a distressing display of violence by engaging in what can only be described as a simulated rape. The perpetrators, aged between 12 and 16, restrained the 12-year-old girl in a headlock while making suggestive gestures, including thrusting her hips. A video capturing the entire ordeal, which was widely circulated on social media, has been verified by the police as genuine. The distressing 29-second video, which has sparked public outrage, portrays a scene where the boys appear to assault the girl in a courtyard. One of the boys restrains her in a chokehold, while another grabs her hips, mimicking the actions associated with rape. 
The other teenagers donning sweatshirts, I'm sorry, sweatpants and baseball caps stand nearby laughing and cheering on the friend. The roles are subsequently reversed and each participant takes turns enacting the grotesque imitation of a sexual assault. The girl, visibly terrified, falls to the ground and covers her face with both hands, defenseless against the ongoing torment. Uh, the boys capturing the scene on video continue to laugh and make explicit gestures. And there's the video. It says, after the video was brought to the attention of the Munich police, its authenticity was verified. Additionally, the police have confirmed that the individuals involved can be identified. The incident is being investigated as a case of suspected sexual harassment. The victim, who resides in Munich, was 12 years old at the time of the assault, while the attackers are four male children and adolescents aged uh, 12, 13, 15, and 16, all residents of Munich. The eldest of the migrant is said to have threatened the 12-year-old with a knife and demanded cash from her. But she didn't have any money with her and therefore didn't give him anything, said the police spokesperson or spokesman. Uh, the victim and the alleged perpetrators are said to have known each other before the incident. According to the Munich police, a property management company employee in the Ober, uh, Obersendling area, if I'm saying that right, probably not, uh, handed over the video to a relevant police inspection on April 12th of this year. Although this video does not match the footage circulating on social media, it captures the same incident from a different perspective, providing further evidence of the reenactment of the rape by multiple participants. And then it says, since former Chancellor Angela Merkel uh, welcomed more than one million predominantly male migrants from Africa, Asia, and the Middle East into Germany, thousands of women and children have fallen victim to rape or sexual assault. Moreover, the situation is exacerbated by politicians and police officials in uh issuing rather directives for law enforcement to turn a blind eye to crimes committed by migrants. Shockingly, the public media seems to have formed a cartel of silence, quote-unquote, employing censorship to shield migrants from any accusations of wrongdoing. Of course, this is not new. This has been going on for quite some time. There's another one. It says one such incident occurred in uh, Austria where a shocking video emerged showing migrant children in Lukenpark district of Linz engaging in ISIS-style mock executions. The video depicts young migrants holding deceptively real-looking weapons known as soft guns against, their children, against other children's necks while recreating scenes of execution. These terrifying displays have left residents in fear with reports of gunshots being heard and ongoing war games in the district. The residents have faced increasing crime for years, including drug dealing, violence, noise, and vandalism. Keep that in mind with this next thing I'm going to read. It says, the situation has instilled such fear that some residents are afraid to leave their homes after 3 p.m. And there's a video of that one as well. Couple more paragraphs there, but you get the gist of it. Okay. Here's the problem, as you can expect. This exists here. This is happening here. Is it being caught on film? Probably. Someone's probably moving it around, but this happens also. And of course, as we know, the real deal happens also too. And this is going to get worse on college campuses, in particular the college campuses that have wiped out the student population from the jabbed 
and now they have empty dorm rooms. So what are they going to do with those empty dorm rooms? Well, this comes from Breitbart, and it is titled, Chicago Turns Daily College into Shelter for 400 Border Crossers. Again, this is going to lead to vandalism, rape, murder, simulated rape, simulated murder, humiliation rituals, sexual harassment, you name it. It's going to lead to all of this. That's why I have a problem with people bringing foreigners into this country in this manner. There are no background checks. There are no health and wellness checks. There's no criminal checks of any kind, nothing. Just come on in. So it says the following. It says, despite opposition from local residents, Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson is housing 400 border crossers and illegal aliens in Daly College and another 400 more in Wilbur Wright College, at least through the summer. Before I continue, the black Americans who live in the Chicago area don't like this either. So this isn't a race thing. This is a you-don't-belong-here thing. That's what this is. The interesting part, too, is because this is all apparently legal, what's keeping any other college and university from doing this? And the answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. This could occur at Ohio State, which is, I believe, top 10 when it comes to cities in the United States. It is number 10 if memory serves. It's tied with another city. But they're in the top 10 when it comes to cities that have illegal aliens in them and are taking in more and more illegal aliens. What's keeping them from doing this? Again, this is hilarious because this is one of those subjects that's continuing to blow up. Even the mayor of New York is now saying that residents who don't have people living in their homes or have vacant rooms to, to just give up to anybody, that they should start giving them up to illegal aliens. He said this, and as soon as he said it, people behind him started to squirm. A couple of guys just started to move around and look around and look at the ground like they were, <laughs> I mean, they were thinking to themselves, no way in hell am I doing that where I live. But this right here is again where the left's own policies are going to back up on them. Because again, when push comes to shove, they don't want to give up anything that they have. In fact, I'm reminded very specifically of an Ohio University professor who I played on this show, I want to say back in 2021. This woman is a lunatic, if she's still alive. Because of course, she's probably double or triple jabbed, and we know how that's going. But she very specifically was giving a presentation, and I played audio from it and provided some, some commentary as to, the, again, the hypocrisy of Marxism and how all of, the, all of these individuals consistently say the same things, such as, we all need to give up our, our, our fair share, they'll say. You've heard that phrase before, fair share. You know, give up your fair share for the, uh, you know, the marginalized and, and the underrepresented. But when push comes to shove, and it comes time for them to give up what they have and what they've worked for and what they've, what they've earned or taken or whatever it is, they don't want to do it. And their justification for not doing it is, well, I would give up 
space where I live and I would give up some of my belongings, but I just don't think other people will. So because other people won't, that means that I don't have to. It's the epitome of hypocrisy with these people, which of course is why they're all disgusting. And I I played this video too on, on one of the war videos. It's a guy walking around in the UK and they're all uh, there were a bunch of protesters out there, but they, they were actually marching in solidarity, ladies and gentlemen, with all of the illegals that are entering their country. This guy's walking around and he's going, you're for the migrants coming in. And they're going, absolutely. And then he simply says, well, that's great. So am I. Would you be willing to sign this petition to have migrants live where you live and live in your house? Not a single one of them signs it. And they're like, uh, uh, I don't, I don't want to do that. And he's like, well, why? And he goes, well, I I just don't have any space. My place is too small. I don't have enough room. I I don't have a spare room. Oh, you don't have a spare room. Okay. That's funny. Again, when, when you present these hypocrites with the facts directly to their face, they always back down. When you show them their own behaviors in a mirror, they scream at the top of their lungs, full blown cognitive dissonance, complete denial. They want nothing to do with it. And then they run away. Just leave me alone. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. And then they, you know, off, off they go. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's exhausting and you can't justify any of this. You can't. This could happen anywhere. These colleges and universities are empty. They're empty. They've lost at least a quarter to a half, if not more, of their population. There's too much living space. This is called race replacement. That's what this is. They're getting rid of the people who normally attended these universities and these institutions, and now they're becoming hotels for illegals. Next, it's going to be free tuition, ladies and gentlemen, because they'll want students there to make it look like they have a full load of students within their institutions so that they can receive federal funds. And that's how they'll stay afloat. The students won't because they won't have any money. I mean, students, let's not kid ourselves. The illegals, okay? They're not really going to be there studying anything. They're going to get free uh, living quarters, free food, and, and government, you know, government handouts. But on the books, it will at the very least look as if the place is loaded with people. And that's where the university will profit. I'm telling you what, this is going to get a whole lot worse. It's just the writing is on the wall. It's right here. It's right here in front of our faces. This continues here. It says, according to city officials, and it gets better, ladies and gentlemen, migrant families with children under 18 years old are staying at the college. The move comes as border crossers and illegal aliens have already been filling up police stations across Chicago, as well as a shuttered elementary school. <laughs> it's, almost like, it's almost like I said this a long time ago, that when these schools empty, they'll even use the schools for illegals. I mean, I thought they were also going to you know, sell the schools. And, and sell them to uh, hospitals or mental institutions. But now, this is all they have to do with them. All they have to do is this. I mean, I'll be honest. This is a curveball for me. I didn't quite think that this was going to happen. But this is interesting. 
So there's another option for all these failing schools. They're going to turn into areas where illegals are allowed to stay. Classrooms will become bedrooms. The gymnasium will, I don't know, remain the gymnasium. There's bathrooms everywhere, showers, an eating facility. A vacant school is essentially all they need. And a vacant school is coming to a town near you. So make sure and watch out for that. It continues here. The Chicago City Council approved, as I said in the last episode, $51 million in local taxpayer funds. That's right, taxpayer funds. Late last month, that will go to provide shelter, care, and food to thousands of newly arrived border crossers and illegal aliens arriving from the United States-Mexico border. Mayor Johnson praised the funding for migrants, even as residents vastly opposed the plan. Quote, how dare this mayor and city council have the guts to give migrants $51 million, one resident said. I demand you to have the same passion and urgency to pass the city of Chicago reparations ordinance. Here you go. And also give us an office for black Americans, just like the office of new Americans, unquote. Yeah, it's not about freedom. It's about money. They should be complaining about the fact that their freedoms are being taken away from them, not the fact that they're not getting their precious reparations, which, of course, should never happen because it's absolutely outrageous. Anybody who knows anything about history knows that white Christians are the most persecuted people on the face of the planet and have been for centuries since the beginning of time. I mean, you know, Jesus Christ and all. So I just wanted to bring a few of those to your attention because, again, that's an ongoing thing. And this is the writing on the wall. These are the links in the chain. It's right in front of us. These are the puzzle pieces. We can see them, and it's continuing to happen. Um, Very briefly, I wanted to mention this too, because I'm sure this will be honest. Just kidding. The NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, led by old Pete Boot Edge Edge, uh, I would as well, I would assume he's certainly a part of this. But they've apparently gotten together and formulated some kind of a story regarding East Palestine, Ohio, and the train derailment. And uh, between June 22nd and June 23rd, a two-day investigative hearing is apparently going to take place. As part of an ongoing investigation, it says, into the February 3rd derailment of a Norfolk Southern Railway train and subsequent hazardous material release and fires. It will be held at the East Palestine High School beginning at 9 a.m. on the 22nd of June, both days. It will focus on hazard communications and emergency responder preparedness and a whole lot of other stuff. And again, they will formulate their story as to what happened and feed the public lies, I'm sure, and all of that jazz. So that should be interesting because, again, no way will it be honest. Because why? It's government. It's just, it's just government. That's all. All right. Education-related stuff. Let me mention this. This was interesting. I've mentioned this person's name before, and I'm going to mention it again. Now, I wish I had the audio to play from this radio show, um, but I, I can't, I can't find it. It's not that it's behind a paywall, but I don't want to pop in my email and and get another password for his website, but. Um, I'm referring directly to Dr. Dave Janda's radio show, Operation Freedom. It airs on uh, 
Wham 1600 AM every Sunday out of Michigan from, uh, what is it, 2 to 5, 2 to 5 Eastern Standard Time. Now, there was a time when, as I've mentioned before, Dr. Janda and myself were communicating over email back and forth, and it was Dr. Robin McCutcheon who got me in touch with him. And he was kind enough to have me on his show before all hell broke loose in uh, in 2020. And I was, I believe, again, I was on one of his Insider Insight shows in uh, December of 2019, and then it aired at the very beginning of 2020 in January. My point is, is that he w- he would mention my name on his radio show with regularity, certainly throughout that that spring of uh, of 2020, and then of course all hell broke loose, and we got to emailing back and forth, and I sent him an email that said something like, "Hey, w- you know, when are Michiganders gonna gonna stand up and fight back against Whitmer and, and what's going on?" and he emailed back and he said, uh, well, we, we are. We've got lawyers all over the place. Lawyers are fighting this and fighting these mandates and mask mandates and whatever. I remember thinking to myself, and I think I said it back, I, I said something like lawyers. I said, lawyers aren't going to help help with any of this. I said, when, when are they going to stand up in mass and just deny everything? When is the mass noncompliance going to occur? And then, of course, the very next day, like two days later, the George Floyd thing happened, and then Michigan started to burn, even though it didn't even happen in Michigan. So there was all of that. The, the point is, and the reason I'm mentioning this, is that he would mention my name and Dr. Michael, Michael Rechtenwald and Dr. Robin McCutcheon, of course, who continues to be a guest on his show, and would bring the three of us up with regularity. Um. I was never a guest on his radio show. I, I have n- no interest in being a guest on his radio show. But what he's done is, is to sort of fill part of the education gap when it comes to the subject of education, is he has a guest on his show by the name of Carlin Borshenko. Now, I've mentioned her name before, and I'm going to mention it again because, again, she's a reoccurring guest on his show. Again, she's not an education major, never was, never taught a day of school in her life. She has a PhD in psychology, and she's a former leftist. But during their talk, which I'll get to sort of the meat of it in a second, but this is the part where I agreed with her. Janda straight up asked her, you know, how do we fix this and all of this grooming and all of this stuff that's going on in the, in the school system? And I thought to myself, well, that's something you could have asked me and I could have told you, but she ended up saying it, which was fine. She said, there's no other answer other than to homeschool your children and pull them out of the system. Now, of course, that's the basis of this show, and you've heard me say that a thousand times. So she's right on that. That is the only way. You cannot fix what is broken. This is intentional. It's being done on purpose. There's no way around it. This is where she goes off the rails a little bit, and she has said some remarkably outrageous things that, that frankly, um, only a former leftist could possibly get away with saying. So just to refresh everybody's memory on Carlin Borshenko, she was a staunch leftist. She's probably a lesbian, but she was a staunch leftist. And then she went to a Trump rally to see how racist it would be and how mean these people would be who attend these Trump rallies. And she ended up finding out that that's not the case. 
She ended up finding out that the people who attend Trump rallies are, are nice Americans. They're hardworking people. They're inviting. They're friendly, kind, you name it. And then she all of a sudden changed her mind. And she said, well, I'm not, I'm not a leftist anymore. Now I'm going to vote conservative and, and for some of these Republicans. And I've, I've learned the error of my ways. What's interesting about this is that you can take the name Democrat away from a lifelong leftist, but they remain a leftist in so many ways. And she is a perfect example of that. So let me mention a couple of things that, that she believes have occurred and that she's actually said publicly on Dr. Dave Janda's radio show, which are completely outrageous. And again, only a leftist could possibly say such a thing and believe it. She believes, again, back when the last election occurred, last November, when there was all that talk of, well, you know, we lost the House. I mean, remember all of that, all that talk of we lost the House, we didn't get enough, uh, you know, conservative MAGA America first people, and, and the Democrats are the ones who have the majority in the House, and the Republicans lost, and blah, blah, blah. Well, that turned out to, of course, be a complete lie. She was on Dave Jans's radio show, and she openly stated that the reason that the Republicans don't have the majority in the House, which of course they do, she said that the reason was because abortion was the number one voting issue that people were voting on. And there are more people who are interested in abortion than not. And the Republicans didn't come out against it hard enough, but at the exact same time, they don't want to get rid of it either. So people were voting for abortion, essentially. They were voting for pro-choice issues, such as, again, medical abortion, which, as we know, is murder. This was her take. This is what she thought. She was wrong twice on the same issue in, in, uh, in a very short amount of time without even paying attention to what was actually happening. So the answer is no. Um, there weren't a bunch of people and a bunch of angry leftists voting for abortion because, again, Republicans had the majority. So that blew up both of those claims that she was making on his show. Then this last episode from this last Sunday, she was on his show, and she said the following. And again, I, I wish I could play the audio for her because you could hear her say it, but she openly said that she's remarkably disappointed in people on the right. And it's not for what you would think. She calls out some rhinos and whatever else, but she says, I left the racist Democrat left but I didn't think I was going to be entering a racist Republican far right. And there's racists on both sides. And I just can't stand either side because I'm finding out that both sides are racist. Something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing what she said, but that was essentially it. And then, specifically, she referenced school fights. And how she'll get on the internet and bounce around and on social media and what she will see are blacks fighting blacks and blacks fighting whites in school. And then people making comments about 
blacks fighting in school and she'll say things like well you know they, they call them they call them animals and they call them all kinds of names and they make fun of them as if they're the only ones getting in fights in school and no white kids fight in school i couldn't believe what i was hearing because this is what happens when a person who's never been a school teacher a person who is a former leftist and let's face it she still is doesn't pay attention to the basic demographic facts of what's going on statistically and then how that directly correlates to decisions and policy and law that gets made in the field of education at the state and then local level. So allow me to educate her, because you know this. You're, you're part of this listening audience. You're well aware of what I'm about to say. The vast majority of students who break the rules, so to speak, violate the codes of conduct within school environments tend to be minority students, blacks, Hispanics, by and large. Whites and Asians are on the opposite end of the spectrum. Most schools, most, are majority white, not all, as we know, and then Asians make up the vast minority of a school building. Those two populations, tend to not engage in, in rule-breaking. I'm not saying they don't. They certainly do. It happened when I was a school teacher. It's a thing. The problem is, is that even though blacks are the minority within school environments, as they are in society as adults, they are the ones engaging in the most violence. This is a fact. So if it happens in society, it's going to happen in the school environment. Why is that? Because the school environment is society. It's a precursor to what is going to happen when they become adults. Now, all of these videos that bounce around the internet, yes, many of them are blacks fighting whites, starting fights with whites, blacks fighting blacks. Blacks attacking Asians. I've even brought up very specific examples on this show also. And now we have, unfortunately, illegals entering schools and getting in fights and even attempted murders. So this is a thing. Carlin apparently doesn't understand that there is a direct correlation between what goes on in society, statistically speaking, and what goes on in school environments, statistically speaking. This is a thing. She also doesn't understand, of course, the definition of the word racist or racism. She doesn't understand that Leon Trotsky created it, that it was used to purposefully divide people, and that there's really no such thing as racism because it is statistically impossible. It's impossible. What people are commenting on really, when you, when you take away any name-calling or, or whatever other words that they're using, regardless of how offensive you think that they are, what they're really bringing up is they're bringing up behaviors and then societal and cultural behaviors among particular individuals. This is also a thing. And again, the videos prove this. If you watch a hundred videos of school fights that are randomly selected, again, at random, from endless websites, whether they be Twitter, Gab, any of the chat boards, whatever, if you, YouTube, 
They're everywhere. World Star, you know, all these websites. You, you, you pull them all off. The vast majority are going to be blacks fighting blacks and then blacks picking fights with others. That's going to be the vast majority of it. And in many of these, by the way, you'll also witness what is commonly referred to as mob mentality. You'll witness individuals within these videos either ganging up on an individual or groups of individuals as a group of the same race, or you'll see someone of an opposite race standing up for the individual who is not the guilty party, but is in fact the victim. This happens with regularity as well. So if Carlin believes for a minute, because she's not awake, I mean, let's just cut to the chase. She's not awake, she claims to be. And I have really, frankly, very little tolerance for these individuals on the left who say, well, I was a staunch leftist and now all of a sudden I've found the error of my ways. I mean, this list is endless when it comes to these people, the Candace Owens of the world and, 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 and frankly, a million others. Those of us who, who were raised in sound homes with awake parents, with Bibles in the home, and, you know, I mean, we, we've seen endless things throughout the course of our lives. We attended public school. We, we've seen the division. We've seen all of it. We've seen the violence. We've seen everything and, and been a part of it also, I might add, but not inflicting it on other people. I, I certainly wasn't, but, you know, been victimized by it like lots of people have. I mean, bullying is a common thing within school when, when you're growing up. But with all of that said, she doesn't seem to understand that. You can't go from one side to the other and then get mad at the other side because the other side's been here longer than you have. We've been here longer, Carlin. I mean, it's that simple. We know what's going on. You don't. If you were to say something to her like depopulation agenda, I mean, this is a woman, I, I might add, who doesn't think that race replacement is a real thing. She doesn't understand that. She can't connect the dots, and they're so close together that they're on top of one another, that illegal immigration or legal immigration and that word manipulation, which again is done on purpose, is all done in an effort to bring in people who are not white to replace the working force in this country with people who are not white and people who are frankly, again, illegal. And let that be a thing, and let that be a common thing. That's what the. That's why I said in the last episode. That's what the melting pot is. That's again why you see all of the race replacement in Hollywood movies and on television shows, and with fictional characters, and even with real real people from the past, like Cleopatra on Netflix. Being, you know, being rated the worst movie in the history of movies, and it was labeled a documentary. Cleopatra was not black. But again, I'm bringing this up not because I'm, I'm making it, I'm trying to make it divisive necessarily. I'm saying the enemy is making it divisive. That's the problem. And Carlin doesn't seem to understand that. And she views people like us who notice this. Because the noticing is becoming rather obvious at this point. It's at face value. It's the billboard on the highway 
when you're driving down the road. It's right in your face. She doesn't, she believes that we are somehow racists as a result. That individuals who love our country want a safe country and recognize that there is a deeper, more insidious agenda at play and that the pedal is to the floor, fifth gear, and they're going all the way as hard as they can. She believes that we are the problem and that therefore we are no different than those on the left. You see, a person who stands for nothing will fall for anything. And she's right in that category. Again, this is a woman who prides herself on being a workplace anti-woke person. You know, I will enter your workplace and, and teach you how to not be woke, and I'll write books about it, and then et cetera, et cetera. She, she doesn't even understand that the word woke, okay, is satanic, and that there is a very insidious satanic slash fake Jewish agenda behind it, or Jewish agenda behind it, however you want to phrase it, and that that is the problem. That the people who are pushing all of these, as she would say, again, woke things, they all just happen to be Jewish. This is a thing. This is a fact. She's not going to say that on Dave Janda's show. Of course not. Because, again, to say such a thing, she would be calling herself you know, an anti-Semite or all these other made-up words that are made up by the very people who are trying to trick endless individuals into falling for it. So, yeah, you know, that's my two cents on her, but I, I, I'm simply saying that I don't put hardly any effort into taking them seriously because you can't, because they were former leftists. That's a, that's a problem. I'm not saying that a person can't change their ways completely, that they can't go from wearing a pink hat and carrying a sign and screaming, you know, whatever, I'll kill my baby if I want to. I mean, I guess a person can go from that to then being on the other side and saying, wait a minute, I was participating in something that's really satanic and awful. I guess that can happen. I guess those people exist. They're few and far between. But one thing you will find almost every time among, again, the, the Carlin Borshinkos of the world, the Candace Owens and, and these others who were former staunch leftists is they can't quite shake all of their leftism. It's still there. It's just a stench that, that is about them. And you hear it, of course, in their words. You hear it in their, in their tone, the things that they say. And she had no problem, again, going on Dave Janda's show and calling everybody who is seemingly on the right and points out statistical facts about fights in school as being racist. She has absolutely no problem doing that. She actually had Dave Janda speechless. He didn't know what to say. And he very rarely disagrees with her. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for all you have done, are doing, and will do. Stay tuned to Operation Freedom, everybody, and blah, 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 blah. It, uh, it's ridiculous. Here's, here's one last point about Carlin, which I meant to mention earlier, and it's kind of the, the, the big factor. And she doesn't know this. This is why American K-12 schools have completely done away with their discipline policies and rewritten them. 
because the vast majority of the individuals who quote-unquote get in trouble in school happen to be minority students. That's why all of that's taken place. And I was a school teacher when that was taking place, when I was watching the excuses get made, not just for black students, but for white students, for girls, for anybody. Because the entire system is designed to give them more excuses, to make the school look better, so they think, when in fact they're sinking themselves from a moral and value-driven standard right into the toilet by letting individuals get away with serious crimes within school environments and making excuses for them. It's terrible. It's not a three-strike system. It's a 50-strike system. I mean, when I was a school teacher, it reached a point, and this was again where I was starting to snap. It reached a point where we had what was referred to as a red card system. They actually took the money and the time to create these post-it note sticker pad things. Again, it's a, it's a, it was a stack of post-it notes, and, and all the teachers had them. And the system was so ridiculous that was in place and that we were being asked to do that it was changing on a year-in, year-out basis. And in many times, in many cases, it was changing in the middle of the year or even the middle of a nine-week period. It was that absurd and it was, and it was failing that much that it made absolutely no sense and not even the students were adhering to it, let alone the teachers and administrators, and it was awful. The parents thought it was retarded too. But if a student did something bad, okay, whatever it was, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter the level of severity. You had to give them one red card. Oh, I'm going to give you a red card, and you'd sign your name on it, and then, and then have them sign theirs as you described on this little red card what they did. And then the student had to keep the red card while you kept a copy. You can see how this has nothing to do with teaching and learning and a complete waste of time. The student had to keep it so that if the student was asked about it, the student had to then show an administrator or another teacher or whatever it was. It was also a giant humiliation ritual. And this was happening, I might add, with all races. This was not just for blacks. This, this was for whites, too. And again, we were a majority white school. But we also had blacks and Hispanics and a few Asians and then we had Haitians who couldn't speak English and a thousand other things. But the point is, is that the vast majority of the individuals in the building who were receiving these discipline notes were white. So that blows up Carlin's whole thing right there. But if they had one red card, well, that meant that there was no punishment. It was just, uh-oh, a red card. It was like back in the day when a teacher would sign their name on a chalkboard. Or, or sign your name, rather, on a chalkboard if you were talking or doing something, they would stop their lesson. I mean, <laughs> this is hilarious. I had my name on the chalkboard just a couple of times, but um, it was just too funny. It was like a, it was supposed to be this visual and, and you know, non-spoken reminder to you and everyone in the class that you've done something you shouldn't. And then they would write your name in cursive, I might add, on the chalkboard. 
And then if you did something else, then they would walk over to your name and put a check next to your name. And if you did something else on top of that later on, then they would put another check on your name. And the name and the checks would stay there for X amount of days until they would then erase it. That's essentially what this was. It was just with a red card system. So if you had two, well, that didn't mean anything. If you got three, that didn't mean anything either. But if you got in trouble a fourth time, then you found your way into in-school suspension, usually just for a day. And then after that, it, it ramped up in, in severity, so, you know, so to speak, regarding, regarding the punishments. The, the point is, schools are now doing away with even that to the point where they're not even disciplining students anymore. Now, what kind of a lesson is that teaching everybody? It's not teaching anyone anything. And I'm sure it's way worse in endless other schools. In fact, I've brought those stories up here before. Entire school districts doing away with all discipline policies whatsoever. They're inviting chaos. That's all that they're doing. It doesn't matter the race in the building, but we can assume that the ones that have less whites in them might be a little more violent. Why? Because they are. Those are the ones that have gangs in them, full-blown gangs. That's not pretend. That's, that's real. Whites don't have gangs. <laughs> they, don't, they don't walk around in gangs. I mean, yes, there's the Hells Angels and things of that nature, but the vast majority of gang mentality, both at the national level and local level, is done among Hispanics and blacks. This is a fact. This is a real thing. Now, of course, the federal government knows this, and they lie, which is why they say white supremacy is the biggest problem that we have in our country. No, it isn't. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. So this is the direct correlation, again, between what really goes on in school buildings from a violence standpoint and how instead of holding people accountable, it just changes their policy within school environments and at the state level. Because again, they also believe that the number of discipline referrals that they have throughout the course of a year matters. That the higher the number, that somehow makes them look like they're an unsafe school. So if they just delete all of those numbers and delete all of those discipline referrals, then magically their problem goes away. Well, it doesn't, because that's pretend, and that's not a real thing. So that's my problem with Carlin. She does, she's never been a school teacher. She doesn't understand that basic correlation, and you don't have to be a school teacher to know that correlation. You just have to be able to see it clearly and not, you know, run around and say, well, I'm a former leftist, and now I'm, a, you know, now I'm, a conservative, but not really because everybody over there is racist. And I don't want to be a part of any of them because I'm above it all. Well, good for you. I don't think anybody really cares what she thinks. I certainly don't, but, you know, my point is, is you can hear in their words where they really stand on things and what they really know and don't know. It's, I think it's interesting, but anyway, that's that. Okay, there's this too. This is interesting, kind of slipping into jab-related stuff uh, momentarily. Actually, let me mention this first. <clears throat> In fact, a lot of this is really education jab-related. Excuse me. Uh, this is from the Epoch Times just a few days ago. 
and it is titled Family of College Student Who Died from COVID-19 Vaccine Sues Biden Administration. It says the family of a college student who died from, from heart inflammation caused by Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine, not a vaccine, has sued President Joe Biden's administration, alleging the officials engaged in willful misconduct. They certainly did. That promotion duped millions of Americans, including Mr. Watts, into being DOD's human subjects in its medical experiment, the largest in modern history, the suit says. So George Watts Jr., relatives of George Watts Jr., who passed away, have filed this lawsuit, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm I'm not holding my breath that anything is going to happen because it probably won't. There might be a giant settlement. Um, keep your mouth shut. Here's here's a slight payment, but maybe not. They'll just sit on it, and nothing will happen. And uh, and there you go. Hard to know though, but that that is a thing, and that is happening. Here's another one. Again, a little more jab-related, but I do have a bit of a victory to, to report, which is kind of interesting. But this first, again, Carroll High School student honored for helping classmate during heart attack. Now, as we know, this has to be, this has to be jab-related. There's no way around it. But as you've heard me say, the media and the school environments are not going to see this the way that we see it. They live in the matrix. We live in the real world. We know what's really going on. So all we're going to hear regarding these, I gave him CPR and kept him alive while he was having a heart attack, while there were three syringes of COVID in his bloodstream, all they'll do is pat themselves on the back, have the media come in and interview the kid as being a hero, and then everybody goes back to sleep, right back to the matrix. This is from Fort Wayne, Indiana. 21alivenews.com. Some Northwest Allen County schools, it says, students and employees were recognized by first responders on Friday for their heroic actions. Oh, you see, now they're heroes. In March, NACS leaders say students were attending track practice, uh-oh, at, Carl, at Carroll High School when another student collapsed. School officials said he suffered a heart attack. Was he jabbed? Then they say Carroll High School student Jaden Wynn, Asian, uh, described what he saw that day that led him to jump into action. And then he said that he noticed that the boy started to stumble and then fell. At first, I didn't know if he was joking or not, so I told him, get up, we're almost done. <laughs> That's horrible. That's horrible. Why are you lying there? We're losing. And he starts kicking him. Get up. Get up, loser. And he's, you know... And he's, he can't breathe because, well, his heart stopped. I'm just kidding. He didn't really do that, but yeah. Anyway, he continued and said, and it noticed he was, and I noticed he was snoring and his eyes were rolling back. So I noticed he wasn't okay. That's good. Me and my fellow teammate tried to wake him up. He wasn't waking up, so we called for help. A trainer and a school administrator quickly grabbed and used one of the defibrillator devices uh, and waited for paramedics to arrive. We were told that he was taken to a hospital and has since made a full recovery. Well, about the full recovery thing. I'm not sure about that. Either way, glad he's alive. Glad he's not dead. Good for him for yelling for help. I, you would hope that anybody would do that. 
But this, again, this is what these schools are going to do. They're not going to address this and what they have done because it is too massive. It's too massive. This is just too big. If you say the words depopulation in a K-12 or university environment, why are you all patting yourselves on the back? You're all jabbed. You're not going to make it. I mean, if you started saying things like that to these people, it's going to go in one ear and out the other. They want nothing to do with the fact that they willfully participated, either unknowingly, clearly, because who would knowingly do this? But it's because they're brainwashed, as we know. But there's no way that they're going to openly admit any wrongdoing. They won't do it. They just won't. Which actually leads me to this, because this is one particular school district that was sued, and now they're being forced to change their ways regarding their quote-unquote COVID policies. So this was from the Daily Clout from a couple of weeks ago. It was tossed my way, and it is titled, Huge Victory. Bishop Unified School District to pay $400,000 and conduct training for all employees in settlement agreement for harming students during COVID-19 pandemic. And this is written by Dr. Paul Alexander. This is big. Now, again, you should leave these environments anyway because they're, they're destitute, they're degenerate, and a thousand other reasons. But this is interesting. Because as a part of this agreement, they wrote into the lawsuit, you're going to provide professional development on what to not do, which essentially is the exact opposite of everything that they were doing from 2020 all the way up to now. It says the following, Bishop, California, May 11th, 2023, with the help of retired U.S. federal ju- judge rather Stephen G. Larson. Bishop Unified School District, BUSD, and a group of parents who filed claims for damages for violation of their children's civil rights finalized a settlement on April 27th of this year. Not only is the school district required to pay $400,000 because of the harm suffered by the children, but USD, BUSD rather, must also provide counseling and tutoring for the students and training for all the BUSD faculty and staff on public health response to public health emergencies, informed consent, and bullying, harassment, retaliation issues. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Again, I understand it's a settlement. It's not a guilty plea. But let's face it, that's what they were doing. They were not engaging in public health. Their response was completely ludicrous because there was no health emergency. They provided no informed consent, and they were bullying, harassing, and retaliating against copious amounts of people. Students, minors, elementary school kids, and parents. It says, armed with vital information on emergency use authorization and informed consent laws from Health Freedom Defense Fund and its founder, Leslie. Munikin, if I'm saying that right, probably not. Uh, Bishop parents and residents began expressing concerns about BUSD's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic at its August 2021 school board meeting. They urged BUSD to follow Title 21 USC, the federal law for the use of UA, EUA rather products such as masks, testing, and vaccines. This law requires voluntary informed consent 
and the option to accept or refuse emergency use authorization products because none of them work for anything. The parents also sought protection for students' civil liberties and pleaded with board members to consider the negative outcomes of potentially punitive enforcement of what was merely state health guidance. BUSD instead implemented a medically nonsensical policy of handling school-based exposures, discriminatory rather, COVID-19 testing based on vaccination status and illegally excluding students from extracurriculars and, and sports. Yes. Yes. What this also says, of course, then it goes through a few examples, but I've brought up endless examples. What, what, the, what the lawyers for this case end up saying is that every school district in California now has to provide very similar professional development, so they hope. Whether they do or not is another story. But they also want people to use this lawsuit as an example for every school district across the United States when it came to what they did, which then brings this into question. If they try this again, and you've heard me mention this before, and we've ruminated about this, uh, you know, back and forth in comments, you know, among one another, but if they try this again at the school base level, in particular the K-12 environment, what's going to happen? Are the K-12 parents going to continue to pull their children out? I think yes. It will flatten the school district if they, do, if they try this again. Will the public outrage continue to exist and hit a completely different level, more severe than it was the last time? I think yes. These, of course, will be the people who believe that they are still stuck to the American K-12 system. And they still want their kids to attend these very brainwashing and abusive environments, so please do what we want you to do as, as we yell at you as parents. But they're going to use this lawsuit as an example to say, look, here's a lawsuit. They paid out almost a half a million dollars and had to have professional development so that all of you don't behave like idiots the second time. And now here we are the second time. So here's the lawsuit. Do you want us to file the same thing against you and make you look like bigger dumbasses than you already are? I mean, this is a victory for, again, people who are still stuck in the matrix and still send their children to these environments. But it's still good because it makes these, it proves that these school environments nationwide, frankly, were completely negligent and breaking copious amounts of laws and abusing children which of course was the basis for my entire last book, that child abuse is now sanctioned and completely allowed in these environments. Well, this lawsuit just proves that they can't get away with it ever again. Certainly not this school district, but then again, was this school district any different than any other school district? Of course not. Same thing. So feel free and look up that article if you're interested. The individuals, again, associated with that lawsuit are a Helena S. Wise Esquire, the Leslie Moo Man Manukian, if I'm saying that right again, probably not, uh, Tracy L. Henderson Esquire, and the Bishop Parent Group. So there you go. So, again, if you're still attending these particular 
environments, uh, and you want to use this against them in the future if they try it again, which let's face it, they're probably going to because they're grooming the younger generation to just accept this kind of behavior, then, uh, you know, go ahead and, and use it if you want. You know my answer to all of this. Don't have to file lawsuits if you're not attending. Don't have to waste your time with the politics and, and all the gay stuff and the nonsense if you're not even there. So if you homeschool and your child's old enough to read and write, then they're old enough to teach themselves. And there you go. Free of government intervention. It's a much healthier way. All right. This depopulation PDF, now that we're face first into the jab stuff, let me bring this up. And I have some Simone Gold news, too, later. Uh, Renette Sunum is putting together quite the Substack articles that are remarkably long and thick and very detailed. She's bringing the receipts on America's Frontline Doctors and Simone Gold, and it's titled, if I'm not mistaken, How the Grifters... Let me see this. Grifters, Grifting, Grifters, Part 1. It's interesting. It's fantastic and frankly not that shocking, but it's very detail-oriented. So anyway, first let me get to this document. For those that uh, don't believe that depopulation is a real thing regarding the UN, and it certainly is, this is directly from the UN and their human development series. That's right. We're going to develop humans right into the grave. This PDF, which I will throw up on my website, AmericanEducationFM.com, under the documents, let me see, government documents, there you go, government documents section, in that giant ongoing list of government PDFs. Uh, this is written by a Wolfgang Lutz and a Nicholas Galley, I'm saying that right, Depopulation, it's titled as a policy challenge in the context of global demographic trends. And it has a picture of the depopulation occurring and the lines on the line graph going in a downward direction. These people want us dead. I can't make it any flippin' clearer. Okay, uh, their table of contents. You ready for this? I'm just going to read the table of contents because the entire document's 38 pages long or 35, or somewhere in there. Um, here we go. Chapter 1. Introduction, it says. Population decline from a historical perspective. Depopulation is a recurring theme, but its contemporary causes tell a new story. Chapter 2. The final phase of the demographic transition. Population decline today is the partial result of a natural development process. No. It's murder. <laughs> These people. Uh, chapter 3. Migration, aging, and national population dynamics. Most populations in Europe will almost certainly be smaller, better educated, and older, regardless of rates of in or out migration. Do you see the gaslighting here? Can you hear it? Less white people will be better for everybody. Depopulation, ladies and gentlemen, and it won't matter who we bring in, they will be better educated, older, and smaller, regardless of who we bring in and what occurs. Chapter 4. Human Capital and Labor Force Participation. A population's composition is more conse consequential than simply its size. There you go. Chapter 5. 
Serbia amid high-out migration, economic hardship, a culture of leaving, and destination country policy facilitates high-out migration that is undermining human capital. Chapter 6. Pro-natal policies in Europe. The gap between desired and actual fertility can be narrowed by long-term practical support for parents, but money alone does not remedy the underlying barriers. They want people to not have children anymore, and they're blaming all of this on just lifestyle habits, I'm sure. That's not it. They're being poisoned, and they don't even know it. Number seven, economic and geopolitical consequences of population decline. A smaller population does not have to be the defining factor of a country in economic or geopolitical considerations. More gaslighting. Just because there's for hire signs everywhere, ladies and gentlemen, doesn't mean that it's a depopulation agenda. No, no, no. Some people just don't want to have those jobs. Some people just don't want to work at a Wendy's. That's it. Chapter 8, the final chapter. Comprehensive policy responses. Strengthening the national human resource base. Because again, death is the resource that they're looking to, to eliminate. That's what they mean when they say human resource. You are a resource as a human, and we want to use you and squeeze you for everything you have and then cast you aside and not replace you. But if we replace you, we're not going to do it with someone who is like you. We're going to do it with someone that we can control from a foreign country. It says the alignment of education and the economy is a chance to help people more smoothly transition into their working lives, which is part of a larger responsibility of countries to maintain their human capital base. Keep them in school. Do everything in school to train them to be good little workers and be brainwashed and compliant. And that's the only way that others can maintain their businesses, of course, and profit from the resource that is humans. I'm sure this document becomes way more descriptive because, again, I haven't read the entire thing, but the table of contents frightens me enough. That's enough. Again, they talk about all these illnesses on page one. Well, it's page one. It's page one of their document, but it's page seven of, of, the, uh, of the PDF. Bubonic plague, smallpox, plague outbreaks, cholera outbreaks, the third plague of 1855, all the way down to 2012 to present with MERS, 1991 to present with HIV, Ebola, from 2014 to 2016, and then you guessed it, COVID, which is one of the larger, although smallpox, 56 million, bubonic plague, 35 to 200 million, and so on and so on. So there you go. I'm going to put, yeah, and then of course the line graphs. There you go. Births are declining, deaths are increasing, immigration's increasing. The, the very individuals who lived within these countries originally is decreasing. They're simply laying out their plan here for what they have in store for Europe. And what they have in store for Europe is exactly what they have in store for the United States of America. 
and it's not good. It's not good. Lots of, re- well, yeah, three, four pages of references. Um, there you go. But again, I'll, I'll toss that document up if you're interested in taking a closer look at it. Okay. This is from the Thread Reader app. Again, UK, depopulation, plenty of crime, vaccination, of course, being the main issue. This is from Sophia Dahl uh, just a few days ago. And I want to give this a quick little read here because it's not very long. Again, it has to do with UK vaxxed statistics here. It says the following, quote, The UK government admits that vaccines have damaged the natural immune system of those who have been double vaccinated. The UK government has admitted that once you have been double vaxxed, you will never again be able to acquire full natural immunity to COVID variants, they say or possibly any other virus, which as we know don't exist, it's just poison. So let's watch the real pandemic begin now. In its week 42 COVID-19 VAX surveillance report, the UK Department of Health admits on page 23 that N antibody levels appear to be lower in people who become infected after two doses of VAX. It goes on to say, That this drop in antibodies is essentially permanent. And of course, we're all aware of this. Um, It then says, what does this mean? We know that the vax do not prevent infection or transmission of the virus. Indeed, the report elsewhere shows that vaxxed adults are now much more likely to be infected than unvaxxed. It says, in the long term, the vaxxed are far more susceptible to any mutations in the spike protein, which we know are nanoparticles. That's what Karen, uh, sorry, Karen Kingston specifically lays out in in the uh, the Stu Peters documentary Final Days. That when you hear the term spike protein, what they're really talking about in their deep paperwork is they're talking about the lipid nanoparticles, and they say lipid to make it sound like it's natural when it's not. It's synthesized metal. It's nanoparticles that are specifically put in there to kill people. And then, of course, you bring in the 5G aspect and control them and then turn them off like a light switch. Uh, Let's see. It says even if they've already been infected and cured once or more. And then it wraps up here with two more posts. It says the unvaxxed, on the other hand, will gain lasting, if not permanent, immunity to all strains of the alleged virus after being naturally infected with it even once. They have a particular source to that claim. I think that that's, uh, you know, I'll go so far as to say I think that that's a, a bit of a rumor. I mean, we don't know what, I mean, we know for a fact that the shedding has killed people. And that, and that people have gotten better from the shedding, but then the shedding has returned depending on the environment that they live in. And again, the, uh, uh, the amount of 5G exposure and electromagnetic exposure that they're, that they're exposed to. So, you know, that's, that's an interesting claim. I, I don't know about the long-term impact of those who are not jabbed who have been shed on like myself. It's, uh, yeah, h- hard to know. But it wraps up here and it says, and here is some more interesting information. UK government reports suggest that the fully vaxxed are rapidly developing acquired immune deficiency syndrome, 
and the immune system decline has now begun in children. Correct. That is that is a fact. And they link an expose article from uh, from a while back. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Simone Gold, Renette Sunum, and all of that stuff. This is interesting. First of all, Simone Gold's half-gay boyfriend, John Strand, uh, has been sentenced to two years and eight months for his role in the quote-unquote capital fiasco on January 6th. Funny how Simone Gold was inside basically doing the exact same thing that he was, and she got, what, 30 to 60 days? And uh, got out just a little early, and he's getting two years and eight months. I think it's all hilarious. Um, like I've said before, I don't think anybody belongs in jail except for the Antifa people, of course, and the feds who organized the entire thing, and the politicians who went along with it and conspired to engage in all of it, too. You know, anybody who is breaking, breaking private property or even public property and vandalizing should be in jail, but I don't even think Simone Gold and, and her half-gay boyfriend should be in jail. I don't like them because they're grifters. They should be in jail for grifting. Which leads me then to Renette Sunum. Renette Sunum's foghornexpress.substack.com. Bounce over there and check it out if you are interested. It is titled Grifters, Grifting, Grifters, Part 1. Bombshell, Threats, Lies, and a Whole Lot of Deceit Around the Cookie Jar. More on America's Frontline Doctors, How Many Crimes Can Be Committed in One Organization, she states. And she brings the receipts. Uh, the the court orders, all of the stuff. She goes after Simone Gold, Sheriff Mack, um, John Strand, and again how and they even show these receipts that the court where Strand was ordered to pay ten thousand dollars as part of his fine came directly from their fund. Well, they're sending money. You know, gullible people are sending Simone Gold money and America's frontline doctors money under the guise of receiving something in return or for maintaining their website or whatever, when in fact, the money that's being sent, because it's all in the same bank account, is being sent for their legal funds. Now, I know, again, that I've played the audio of John Strand begging for money to pay for the legal fees, and it has been paid, but off to jail he goes. I will read this particular section um, where she, it's titled, this particular subchapter of, of this very lengthy article is titled, The Golden Web, The Golden Webs We Weave. It again, just a nice little introduction. It says, in January 2021, Golden Strand became entangled in the January 6th storming of the Capitol, which has now clearly been demonstrated as a trap for patriotic Americans, as I reported here in a previous article that she links. She says, after Golden Strand participated in the January 6th quote-unquote insurrection, Gold pleaded guilty last March and served 60 days in federal prison while Strand didn't take a plea and will have to serve two years, eight months in federal prison and three years of probation for his role in the event. Their story is, caught, is a cautionary tale for many in the medical patriot freedom movement. While nobody should be serving any time for this January 6th uh, cockadoodle FBI setup, and we agree on that without a doubt, it continues to be a mechanism for ensnaring or ensnarling rather individuals that the system wants to vilify and lock away. 
But not all people accused of the January 6th insurrection, quote-unquote, are innocent of all wrongdoing, Gold and Strand in particular. As this AFLDS story develops, it's clear that even more individuals may be guilty of wrongdoing. And it's lengthy, and it's worth it. So I'm not going to read the whole thing here clearly, but I highly recommend giving it a read and, and checking it out. It's, it's awfully damning. It's awfully damning. And there's way more to it, too. Uh, potential plagiarism, forging signatures, uh, money mismanagement, of course. There's, and, of course, just taking money out of the funds in order to, quote-unquote, protect the money. It's really disgusting. Um, I also find this rather interesting. You would think that Simone Gold would be, would be posting this on Gab because she's on Gab or someone who works for her posts on Gab. Um, I, I'm certain she posts on Twitter also, but there wasn't a single gab post about her half gay boyfriend going to jail. Not one. If they're so close and one of your employees, so to speak, that you happen to be allegedly sleeping with, apparently, you would think that you would post a social media post about it, but I guess not. Weird. Apparently it's not that important to her. Um, yeah, very odd. Okay. Speaking of odd, I want to end with this little story. This was a bit strange, and I know that this is one of those things that's happening. It's completely unrelated to most of what I brought up here, but it brings in, of course, the uh, the, the mechanized society that that is being pushed our way. We know that many, many stores, of course, are doing away with human beings and bringing in robots. We're well aware of this. Touchpad things, more self-checkout, etc., etc., when my aunt was in town, my mom and my aunt went to UDF, as they typically do, and they are, uh, th they're fiends for the cherry cordial ice cream. They were telling this story about going to United Dairy Farmers and getting some ice cream, and they went to one in a neighboring town, and they said that it was completely jacked up the way that they had this. And I'm not going to get this story perfect because I wasn't there and I've heard it three or four times and you'd think I'd have all the details down, but there's no way I get it correct because they tell it way better because they were there. They said that, of course, the way that it normally works in, in most normal places, you walk up to the counter to the person who's behind the ice cream counter, you say, hi, here's the ice cream I'm after, here's the, uh, the cone or cup I'm after, and I'll pay you and then I'll be on my way. Not so with this experience. They said they walked in and they were standing in line and no one was telling them that they were in the wrong line or that they were in line to basically do something that they are no longer allowed to do, which of course is talk to the human behind the counter, pay for the ice cream, and then walk away with the ice cream. They said that they were standing in line and someone told them, oh, are you standing in line for ice cream? And they went, yeah. And they said, we don't do it like that. You have to walk over to the other side of the store where there's a kiosk where you have to punch in what ice cream you want in what container, a cone or a cup. And then you don't even pay there. So they walked over and they went, well, this is jacked up because immediately they, they hate this, as most normal human beings do. They walked over to the kiosk. They started punching it in. And it was difficult because it was something like you couldn't say how many scoops you wanted or something like that. It was just 
you know, cone cup and the kind of and the kind of ice cream. And I think there was another fiasco with with the with the kiosk thing where it wasn't working properly or it wasn't doing what they wanted it to do or something. So they ended up doing that, whatever they could whatever they could do with the machine. They ended up walking back to the same line where they actually paid a human being behind the counter to then give them the ice cream. They received their change and then they took their ice cream and then they left, which begs the question, why have the kiosk thing in the first place? If you're walking all the way over here to then walk all the way back to the original line where you were, where you're having to pay and receive the ice cream, what's the point? Again, is the kiosk thing trying to keep track of the amount of ice cream that's being sold? How did you all do it decades before? You know, is this uh, <laughs> is this UDF, United Dairy Farmers Ice Cream, uh, ice cream slash gas station place, is it a... Uh, is it a test ground for having less humans while they test out the durability or, I don't know, the, the customer enjoyability, so to speak, of, of the kiosk thing? Because again, this too turned out to be a bit of a humiliation ritual to sort of bring the whole episode together. It, it essentially was because they were made to look like fools, like they hadn't been in there before. When in fact they'd never done this kiosk thing before, only to then sort of be shamed into being in the wrong line and I can't believe you don't know that. And then having a trouble, you know, having a, uh, a jacked up time with a machine to then only come back to a human that they were talking with in the first place to get the thing that they were there to get in the first place. It's completely screwed up. Why anybody thinks this is a good idea is absolutely beyond me, and these companies have lost their minds. So sure enough, they ended up going to a bit of a family reunion that I did not participate in, but they ended up going um, where, where the ashes of my grandparents who have passed away and, and have been passed away for quite some time now were being interned, and uh, they went to another United Dairy Farmers up around the Westerville area in Westerville, and wouldn't you know it, they didn't have a kiosk there. In fact, they had a human being who took their money and gave them their ice cream and even tried to upsell them on ice cream and certain kinds of new ice cream. No machines, though. Weird. So, yeah, more machines. Be on the lookout for this. This is a continuing thing. I know it's going on in almost every place imaginable, but Honest to God, it's just, it's nuts. It's crazy out there. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, make sure and check the descriptions below for those two documentaries. You've got to watch both of them. Again, I personally think that the final days by the Stu Peters Network is better. It seems a little more focused. It seems a little more in, in a straightforward direction, taking you from beginning to end. Again, rather than sort of bouncing around, kind of like the pandemic three was, but that's just my opinion. Uh, either way, I will catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.